This is Devin Mann from Man Versus. The following episode of Man Versus recorded at All In Recording Studios. In order to win, you got to be all in. You hear me? All In Recording Studios. Let's get it, baby. What's up, y'all? It's been a minute. I know it's been a minute. I haven't seen y'all since last year, 2020. Everything that happened with Corona, we had a good first season. It was dope. I loved it. It was great. We had a lot of viewers. We had new people come on, some old people come on. We had some returnees come on, and it was a good season. Started off. But this season is going to be a little bit different. We're going to have some more guests from different backgrounds, more professional, bigger guests and things like that. Um, it's Devin with Man Versus. And my first guest is going to be. Oh, what's going on, y'all? I'm Dr. Regina Bradley. I'm assistant professor of English and African diaspora studies at Kennesaw State University. Ooh, that was a that was a mouthful. <laughs> I don't think I can say that three times in a row. But yeah, so I do have a very big hitter for our first episode for 2020. We do have Dr. Regina Bradley, and I'm going to call her doctor the entire podcast through because I just think it's a sign of respect because a PhD is, it's not easy. I'm assuming it's not easy. Not, right? No, no. <laughs> that's like, that's like uh, what, eight years of schooling right there? I finished in five. Five? Mm-hmm. You got a PhD? I had shit to do. I had shit to do. Yeah, I finished in five. <laughs> Oh, I got my bachelor's in five. <laughs> Ain't mad at it though. I mean, you yeah, know, it's, yeah. that's crazy. So you're extremely smart. Like, I that's really crazy. I mean, I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> so where'd you get your PhD from? And, Florida State. Uh, I'm sorry, is that Florida State. Florida. So are you from Florida? No, I'm from Georgia, from Southwest Georgia. Two, oh, two, so you was born and raised in Georgia. Military brat, but since I graduated high school from Albany, I'm I'm a Benny girl. So you know what I'm saying. Oh yeah. Oh, you was in Albany. Yeah. My one of my close friends, uh Cam Will, you might know him. He's from Albany. He's a Q. Mm. Yeah, he he's from Albany. Um, he's a country boy, you know. I mean, Big you know, one. it's the only way to do it. You know <laughs> oh yeah, I love I'm country myself. So okay. my family, my my mom's side is from South Atlanta. So oh, okay. Yeah, she's country. And uh my dad's side, he's from the like the hood, the project. So we don't really hang out with that side, but country <laughs> folk. <laughs> no, it's not it's nothing bad. But you know, whenever people get married. Like you just, for some reason, when people get married, like you gravitate to one side versus the other. Mm. I don't know why it works out that way, but like my mom's side, we were, I mean, I like my dad's side. They're cool people, but the only person I really talked to was like my uncle and his nieces. But besides that, it's just me and my dad. But yeah, so let's just hop straight into it. You have a PhD in what seems to be black culture, it seems, right? The, uh formerly my phd is in english with an emphasis on african-american lit and culture yes sir okay so mm-hmm. i'm expecting you to destroy me in this podcast because usually it's not pretty fair to my other guests because you know <laughs> i do a lot of research <laughs> and I, I like to back up my claims with facts and mm-hmm. if i'm ever wrong in this podcast i want you to be like i don't think it happened that way you know so we can just- <laughs> no seriously okay. like let me know because there's a lot of misinformation out there you can google as much as you want but you know Things get lost in translation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So we're going to talk about black culture and personally me about black culture is I don't like the road that we're headed down anymore. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So I like the black culture from like the 1900s to about the 1970s. Uh, <laughs> what was it about the early 1900s? That just, you know, this seems like a nice era to like. <laughs> so the thing about black culture then was, and I'm not trying to, you know, discredit racism or anything like that. Like, mm. you know, my grandparents were definitely going through, it, you know, like 100% for a fact. 
I'm not going to downplay anything that they went through, Mm -hmm. but I felt like the community was a lot more close knit than we are now. Um, Well, yeah, we didn't have a choice. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you're, if you're living publicly in a segregated space and legally you're supposed to be, you're not supposed to, you know, intermingle, so to speak, then yeah, those community bonds are going to be a little bit closer than they are now when you have a freedom of choice of where you want to live, where you want to touch down. Um, but yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I'm mean, like, yeah, no, I, no, no, I, you're good, I, you're I good. can see that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I, I personally think that desegregation and getting rid of Jim Crow was one of the worst things to happen to the black community. Um, it ain't just you. There's a lot of older black folks who feel like that. You know what I mean? Some of them are in my family. They're like, yo, integration was the worst thing to happen to black folks. in America. Yeah, it definitely was because, you know, racism and all that stuff was bad but yeah you can buy a a gucci belt now because they want you to instead of Mm -hmm. you putting that money back into the community because i feel like the biggest issue and like this is where i kind of think the hoteps are kind of right when it comes to this point like we shouldn't be spending our money at gucci and versace and then going to the dealerships and buying like three or four or five cars and then all the jewelry and then everything like that, then like, you know, you get well, tattoos are kind of fine because there are a lot of black tattoo artists. But I just don't think we should be doing that because like, how can we push ourselves forward and migrate forward if we're not funding ourselves, you know, mm. like, how can we do that? So like, I don't know if you know, but I did the protest last year um, for Kennesaw or really, yeah, Kennesaw, like the city in general. I did two of them. Um and I was thinking about, I was like, dang, we can only go so far with these protests because, like, we have no funding, we have no security, we can't do anything. Like, it's just a bunch of, you know, 20 to 28-year-olds, like, just protesting and marching and being loud and rowdy. And, you know, I was, like, I just don't like the fact that we're not funding ourselves. We just, like, the Black dollar stays in the community, like, what, like, for half a day or something like that? I don't know. I think Killer Mike said on Trigger, trigger uh, what was it, Trigger Warning? Mm-hmm. um it was less than that i think it was like less than half a day a couple hours something like that yeah like how can we how can we progress as a people if we can't fund ourselves like you know i mean you're on twitter like you're actually pretty twitter famous like you be going viral sometimes don't look like that don't do that <laughs> you the one with twenty thousand followers I'll... <laughs> no i'm a, well no not i ain't at twenty thousand yet i'm knocking on 18 but <laughs> I mean, it is what it is, man. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, just a couple of things come to mind when you were talking about, you know, how do we move forward when we don't seem to invest literally and physically and culturally invest in our communities? I just, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm, I I agree. I mean, like, I feel like we should spend more black dollars in the black community. I, I do agree with that, right? I think the other part of it too, though, is for me when I think about articulations of black community and black cultural expression like one of the things that I often tell my students especially if they take my 2300 class is that you know we have to go in understanding that black folks aren't monolithic um there's still this widespread understanding that oh you're you're black American so you of course you do x y and z like it's called like these essentialized notions of what that means like like essentialisms of black experience in America and I'm like stereotypes Usually they do, right? Like usually they do boil down to stereotypes. I mean, like there's obviously kernels of truth with some of these essentialized things, but what happens is that essentialism gets repeat repetitive or gets commercialized time and time again to the point where it does become a stereotype. And I think it's lazy, you know what I'm saying? Like nobody really wants to explain like the complexities of that. With that being said, 
I mean, in the same ways that black dollars aren't or black people aren't monolithic, the way they spend their money is not going to be monolithic either. There's multiple ways to to engage it. But I but, you know, the other part of it is if we engage, you know, if we redistribute our wealth within the community, it's kind of hard to redistribute wealth that we don't have. You know what I'm saying? Like that has been historically, culturally relevant to this conversation about yeah. capitalism as it relates to races. Black folks have intentionally been put on the margins in order to keep us from having ideas about how to wealth build. And then, you know, you get the folks who cross over, you know what I mean? You get the Beyonce's and the Jay-Z's and the Diddy's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the outliers. Yeah. I'm like, but they're out, exactly what you said. They're like outliers. You know what I'm saying? And I think the other part that's interesting is that even when folks do invest in the black community, folks still have something to say. Like, I think that's the other part of it too, is that we'll, we'll never not have something to say about what people do with the money in their wallet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and you know, you could you can give 98% of your money back to the black community. You could be all in for matters for black lives. You could do all of these things and contribute to these causes. And somebody's still gonna be like, well, what about that one percent? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about that one percent? You gonna give me the one percent? Yeah, what about that one person <laughs> that one situation that one time? And it's like, oh, come on, bro. I'm trying, please. Like, I mean, I gave you all, I gave my buddies, you know, I go to a black barber, I have a black tattoo artist, I have a black, you know, whatever. I have a black everything, I had a black if real I estate could go, agent. If, if, if I could go to an all black gas station, I would, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's still going to be like, you know, for those things that I can't get, that's going to be the thing that folks focus on. So I think one of the, the challenges in this conversation is being nuanced enough with it that we recognize that, you know, we don't want to romanticize the power of the dollar, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And what it can do, because in addition to romanticizing the power of the dollar, I feel like it's taking away the heat from where it needs to be, which is, you know, how do we dismantle white supremacy in a society that white supremacy Spilt is on. foundation? Yeah, you know what yeah. I'm saying? It's like the foundation. Absolutely. Like How do you break apart the foundation and you're doing all these other remedies and they might help a little bit, but the reality of it is, even if you do do those things, that's still at the top of that conversation. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. like, even if we had something like a Black Wall Street today, it wasn't that they weren't distributing their money amongst themselves. It was still folks were jealous that they weren't contributing to the community outside of Black Wall Street because they didn't have to, right? Yeah. Um, and then they destroyed it. You know what I'm saying? Literally so I guess- it down. Literally, literally burnt it and bombed it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, okay- we were doing the the distributing of black dollars, but that made folks uncomfortable. So that's why I'm like, you can't have that conversation without having another conversation about how do we dismantle the supremacist notions behind it. So then that's very like that was very complex. I understood everything that you were saying. Um, <laughs> no, I really you. did. Uh, I, I like to like um, my friends know that I'm a very big researcher. Mm -hmm. in the black culture capitalism like what led to this how did we get to this point like did it start in the 1600s or did it start in the 1800s like did it start when we were slaves or did it start when we got freed and then we went back to indentured servitude like what happened that made us do this so i like to look into these things like i do data points all over and i actually had to resend one of my notions that i had a thought of last year or even mm -hmm. just years before in general which I was telling what a scholar does. Like, yeah, because I was yeah. um under the notion that, you know, I was using people like my father or like P. Diddy or Jay-Z or Beyonce or even like just the person that grew up in the hood, you know, someone like you, like who grew up in the hood or the or, or the country who, you know, wasn't really like wealthy that is now in a higher position to say, well, I was like, no, nah, bro, it's probably like if they can do it, anyone can do it. Like mm. it's possible, we can definitely do it. Like, you know, my dad grew up in the projects, like 
on the west side of Atlanta. Like y'all know what it was like back in the 50s and, and, and the 60s. Like, bro, come on now. Like if he can do it, you can do it. And I had to rescind that notion because I did more research. Um, and I found out that so most wealth in America is done over generations and is actually done through real estate. Like most most millionaires in America are real estate. Just on a pure statistic number, not saying that there are people who, you know, they're on business or they do trade or, you know, they have something like that. But most wealth in America is over real estate. And what happened was, I think it was the 70s or the 80s, the government actually went into communities of white people and said, hey, we're going to pay you if you live in this community and don't let any black people live here. Right. Before that. Yeah. Yeah. But this was like done blatantly. And it was done in major uh, communities like New York, Georgia, Louisiana, New Jersey. And I, I can't remember the fifth one, but it was done in major communities like that. And so we were actually withheld from buying real estate, from buying land. And that was like back then during that time. And even now was one of the major, major, major ways to make money. Because mm-hmm. we're not black now for making money and like now, like we can make money now, like sure, whatever. You want to be a barber and charge mm-hmm. hundred bucks for, or you want to be a real estate agent or whatever you want to be, we can do that. And sure, we're slowly catching up, but <laughs> it's nothing compared. You know, <laughs> it's Slow nothing compared to like imagine if we had a sixty-year head start, mm-hmm. if we could do what we did now sixty years ago. Like, I'm not saying that that would have fixed all the issues, but that definitely would have gave leverage. Because not only that. With real estate, you fund your schooling. Mm-hmm. With real estate, you fund your police department, your your uh, fire department. You fund all these things through your property taxes that people don't even know about. So when yeah. people be like, well, where's the money for the schooling? Like, why are they getting all this money? It's like, bro, that school's in the back community. Like mom, dad, they can't pay the bills. You know, they got to work three or four or five jobs. They're not home. The older brother got to watch the little sister. The older sister got to watch the little brother. Like, right. It's like, and it's repetitive. So it's mm-hmm. never, ever going to stop. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it was going on way before that. You know what I'm saying? And I Definitely. feel like it got more it got more sophisticated as we got out further out from the civil rights era, the 1950s and 1960s. And what I mean by that is in ways that you could politically, culturally, blatantly, publicly say black mm-hmm. folks can't do X, Y and Z. You know what I'm saying? And now you have legislation on the books, which granted, because it's on the books doesn't mean that folks are going to listen Do to it. the shit right exactly. but it, it's on at least it's on the book so it's like okay so it's on the book so we have to get more sophisticated right and all of this makes me think about it's actually really interesting it's actually all this makes me think about um how black folks identify what is and what is not quote unquote the american dream right and then there's Facts. that really that really painful and horrible realization that the American dream for white folks is different than it is for everybody else. You know what I mean? So it's like, when you have that realization, it does something to you. You know what I'm saying? Like it does, like each not, I don't know if it's going to be, and it's something that black folks have have talked about for generations and decades from Lorraine Hansberry to a raisin in the sun, like the player raisin in the sun is literally talking about ideas of, you know, what happens to the American dream when it's deferred, right? So it's talking about what Langston Hughes is talking about during the early 1920s. So I also think like the the things that you're talking about actually made me think, kind of think about what's going on in my own family tree, so to speak. So my great grandfather um, was a business owner in the early 1900s, right? He, he, was, he was an investor uh, in a logging company, you know what I'm mm. saying? And he was murdered because 
he was a black businessman who had a car. You know what I mean? So I mean, like, if you're a black person with a car in the 1920s, I mean, like, you're doing it. You know, especially in Southwest yeah, yeah. Georgia, where that shit is still. <laughs> oh yeah. It's extremely rural, right? It's like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, so he was murdered because he had ambition and he was murdered because he had access to a dream that a white man said he shouldn't have had access to. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Too. Yeah. Yeah. So like Education. it's just like, yeah. So it's like the thing that I think is something that's really interesting that happens, especially for those of us who were raised in the South, is that we are told, at least I was told in my house, right? Like education is the portal to being successful. You go to college, you get the good job. But the reality of it is it doesn't always go as smooth as that. <laughs> you know that's, I mean? that's true. That's true. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I wish I could have just graduated with just a bachelor's degree and been able to do what I'm doing now, but I couldn't. I had to literally go out, get extra education. And by getting extra education, also had to get additional debt. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, one of the things that we don't talk about often is that when we think about ideas of generational wealth building, you know what I mean? And you can use Kennesaw as an example. Like, you know what I'm saying? If you've been on campus, you've seen. You've seen students, you know what I'm saying, who are riding around in Beamer Benz or Bentley. You know what I mean? I ain't seen a Bentley on campus, but I mean, like, yeah, I but like challengers, survive. you know, sports cars, things like yeah, that. Yeah, like that are like recent year. You know what I'm saying? Now? I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, how are you paying for X, Y, and Z? And then you also have the flip side of that, which is where you have other students who don't have access to a car, who have to work two, three, four, five jobs, because not only are they paying for them, they're also putting, sending money back to the family, right? So it's like, I think that's the other thing is like, we don't, when we think about the black dollar, we think about it from a sole proprietor position. But the reality of that is that $1 has multiple hands on it in your family, in your community. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, if you get that coveted refund check, <laughs> 700. Say, you know what I'm saying? Let's get, let's say you get a, like a couple of stacks back, or let's say like you get like $2,500, $3,000, something like that. So out of that $2,500, $3,000, of course, you're going to have to pay off whatever's left. You know, you got to get your books, whatever, whatever. Woo, woo. But then you're like, all right, well, my mom says she needs help with this bill. Or she needs to put this towards that. My brother and sister need X, Y, and Z. They got to go to daycare. They got So you know what I mean? So I think that additional layer of community and family that's connected to, to, to the dollar in the Black community is so overlooked because we're, it's being pushed out of our minds because of not, we're not, we don't think about that as being significant to why we can't have access, why we can't progress because the reality of it is it's not just our money you know what i'm saying like it's never just it's everybody money. money you know what i mean it's, it's not just our money because if it was just our money when you apply to like fafsa and financial aid then you'd be able to claim yourself which means you will get more money can't can't yeah because you're like oh you know and, and probably on top of that your folks are probably still claiming you on their taxes you know what i'm saying so folks look towards like look you know look forward to tax season because you get some kind of refund but reality of that shit is that refund is actually money you should have been getting all year <laughs> yeah that's what that's what a lot of people were mad about when the first stimulus package passed um mm-hmm. last year in i think april um a lot of college kids were saying like dang like i'm not gonna get no money and because their parents are gonna get the money yeah because they can't claim themselves yeah they're because their parents yeah. are claiming even though they're like 22 23 and they're mm-hmm. probably fully independent like they got two three jobs they paying for their apartment for their car their car insurance mm-hmm. their health insurance like all that mm-hmm. stuff and mom's still claiming them because mom or dad needs the tax breaks you feel me they need the tax yeah. breaks they need a tax refund they need all this and it's like oh and these are just people that i just saw in kennesaw so I can only imagine what it's like at Georgia State, UGA, mm-hmm. or even out of state, like Texas State or, you know, uh, Alabama or mm-hmm. UA, you know, anywhere. Like I know 
there are probably millions of kids who were just like, dang, like they don't care about us like at all. Like, yeah, but I think the even the other part of it too is is how difficult it is to claim independent in college. It's very difficult because you have to go through an entire like I had I I got to claim independent in college and I had to go through I had to swear oaths I had to fill out paperwork all of these things oh just to claim myself because my my dad had passed and my and I, my dad was still claiming me on his taxes at the time and I'm like mm-hmm. well my dad's not here anymore give me my well are you sure your mom's not I'm like my mom ain't claiming nothing <laughs> it's, just, it's me <laughs> it's me. Um, so, yeah, I, just, I think, you know, all of that to say, I mean, like, it's a, it's a much more complicated thing than just seeing that folks, old folks don't know what to do with their money, right? Like, I feel like that's such a lazy argument. Black people don't know what to do with their money. How you how you going to know what to do with some shit you don't ever have access to? Mm. I, I'm kind of torn on that because okay. I see both sides of the argument. On one side, like, yeah, we do need money to help us further and get advanced and things like that. But on the second side, it's like, you can't give someone who doesn't know how to use a million dollars a million dollars because mm. it happens all the time like even in college and i was very and I, me myself i was guilty of this you get that refund you're like i'm gonna go ball out i'm gonna get some sneakers i can put a down payment on a car i'm gonna get that, some is, clothes, that instant gratification that instant gratification and yeah. i personally like with the whole reparations thing right i'm this gonna sound so bad and you're gonna get on me <laughs> i know you're gonna get on me and that's why you're laughing right now <laughs> i'm against reparations I'm not against it altogether completely, but I'm against it in the fact that I think we need to educate ourselves first on what comes with the reparations, how we're going to use that money to even like not even just better the black community, but just to better yourself. Like I know people usually argument of, well, it's your money. Just do whatever you want with it. No, don't just do whatever you want with it. Like make sure that you're using that money right because Mm -hmm you want to set yourself up to be in a good position. Because, like, let's say every Black person in America gets, like, five, $500,000, right? Just going to throw up. I, don't know. I wish, but okay. I know. I'm just saying in general, right? $500,000. Like, every Black person in America get $500,000, right? You get that money, and you immediately go crazy with it. You go buy a Hellcat. You go buy a, a penthouse suite somewhere in Buckhead. And you live in the life for, like, three or four or five years, and then that money dry up. Now what? You're in the same position you were. Oh, you're gonna make it no years. You up here getting the penthouse and the, all, all, all of that. That that little money gonna be gone. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's why I'm against it because I don't think that. And to touch on your subject of the education, I don't think they were educated enough to take that money back. Like I would totally be with it, and I'm very for it if we knew as a community or even as a whole. Even if 70 percent of Black people was like, you know what, if I get this money, I'm gonna do this. Blah, blah, blah. Not even saying invest in real estate. Just put in your savings or even a Roth IRA or something like that, and just get the money and make sure that you're not gonna be in that bad position again in 10 years. Mm. I mean that, but that, but like all of that goes back to the idea of generational wealth building. You just you just explain generational wealth building. I mean, I'm not. I'm not totally sold on individual reparation payments. Right. Um, so, so, what, I'm not, so what I'm not, do you, so, so what I'm would not you, coming for you like you thought I would. I mean, like, I feel like. I thought you was going to get on me, man. Me and Don mm-hmm. was talking about it. And I was like, man, she's going to eat me a lot. No, I, like, I mean, oh. like, I don't, I don't necessarily feel like, because I mean, like, think about like what that'll do to a different conversation about how do you prove that your, your forefathers and ancestors weren't like, how do you prove that? And like weren't enslaved? No, we're enslaved. I mean, how do you prove that? Well, because see, because because mm-hmm. the reason I asked that is because record keeping for Black folks was so bad. Oh yeah, 
You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there are people out here who are walking around with two, three different birth dates, two, three different social security numbers because there isn't, there wasn't accurate documentation about when they were born, where they were born, how they were, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? So I, I mean, like, I feel like that in itself is, is one thing, but I, when I think about ideas of reparations and, you know, I think about folks like uh, Dr. Sandy Darity, for example, if you haven't read his, his work on reparations, it's really good, right? This idea about uh, what economic shout it out sandy darity like the work by all pretty much all the work by sandy darity up at okay right i mean his 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 work is is really about what reparations would look like you know what i'm saying um and it's not from a very you know sunny you were you had enslaved ancestors so boom here's the money i mean like you have to you know what i mean if we're thinking about infrastructure for example Mm. like that's what i would like to see is that if if we ever do get to that conversation about reparations i mean of course if you want to give individual out but i'm thinking collectively we need to readdress the infrastructure through which this money is going to happen you know what i'm saying so we can talk about you know what you were talking about with school infrastructure what you're talking about with these communities so i i don't i'm not I'm, I'm kind of like you. I'm not I'm not necessarily sold on individual reparations because okay. of that anxiety. But I am but I am for ideas of reparations that address the communities t- plural as a whole. You know, what I I'm am, saying? too. Very much. I'm, I'm with that. Like, I, I think that that's I think that that's dope. You know what I'm saying? But if folks just stop the conversation at you gonna write me an individual check, then, of course, it's going to collapse into, you know, your check is gone within one year two years depending on what the what the amount would be right? <laughs> yeah what you do with it what you do with it you know what i'm saying but there needs to be that conversation about what generational wealth looks like i mean you know what i'm saying i remember what three stacks was talking about in some of his rap he's like yo you need to make sure that your kids 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 could have some cheese you know what your what baby's saying? mother mother yeah like you need to make sure it's, it's, it lasts around a little bit because that's important like i mean like that's important you know especially in a capitalistic society like it's really kind of fascinating and also kind of not kind of it is it's, it's fucked up that we live in a capitalistic society but yet we don't have access to the capital <laughs> yeah no no no, no. definitely definitely <laughs> you know definitely I mean? definitely i i do agree with you on that like i'm a big proponent of capitalism but i do know that it's not a perfect system because mm-hmm. like so so when it comes to things like capitalism versus socialism and things like that and i tell people straight up like i'm being very selfish i'm thinking about my people first like i say it all the time i don't mm-hmm. hide behind it i don't try to pretend like oh yeah humanity like yeah humanity is great but <laughs> like you know i'm thinking about my folk first right and yeah. so i actually had a podcast with some um some democrat uh leaning uh people like who actually mm-hmm. work in the campaigns and things like that and i was like so what are your thoughts on capitalism and so, uh, socialism and you know they told me their thoughts and i was like okay that's cool you know i respect it like i see where you're coming from i don't agree with it but you know it is what it is but my <laughs> thing is i don't think socialism is that good for black people because there's no incentive for the government to treat us right and also i don't even like the government i literally hate the government like I don't know if you see my tweets, but I hate the government. Like, I literally, I just see, like, I just look back from when we first came here, the first 13 slaves when they first came here until now, and how the government's treated us. And I just don't understand how any Black person's like, you know what? Socialism. Let's make the government just treat us completely. I'm like, am I tripping? Or, or what? Like, this is really what you think? Like, that's, to me, that's crazy. Because... Not even, not even, let's, let's throw slavery out and let's say that it was everybody's fault. Let's say it was everybody's fault. The, the government, the, the white man, the white woman, all that. Let's say it's their fault. 
even up until 50, 80 years ago with our grandparents, we had Jim Crow, we had redlining that the government let happen. We had Ronald Reagan. Uh, we had Ronald Reagan, uh, what is it, political oh, advisor on, on tape talking about, okay, well, you know, you can't be too racist nowadays because it's too bad. So instead of saying Negro or Black, you got to say poor. You got to say misplaced. Mm. You got to say zoned out in certain areas. This is what, and I'm like, why do y'all like the government? Like, I hate the government. Like, I, I literally hate the government. I mean, well, how you gonna love somebody that what that was built to not love you back exactly that's my thing but the other i mean but again it's it, i don't know as a professor it really just it 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 hurts my spirit so to speak because by the time that students get to my classes or african american studies classes they've already been conditioned to think about x y and z in such a way that when you push back against it it completely blows their mind. Like it completely shuts them down. Like seriously, you know what I'm saying? And I'm kind of just like, it's conditioning. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, but also the other side of it is what I find really interesting with younger, with younger black folks that I come in contact with is that there's, there's this belief that all of this happened so long ago civil rights movement that was such a long time ago dr b no the you know jim crow it was such a long time ago dr b you know what i'm saying and i'm like well, what makes you it's think half it's a, a century yeah but you that's got people not... alive today basically yeah like i have a i have a colleague whose dad was in class with emmett till god you know what i mean but we make it seem like emmett till was 50 11 million years ago like all of these things were like so long ago and again it's that condition like oh these things happened so long ago a dr king happened so long ago but then it's also the way that the narrative gets twisted so that it seems like it wasn't so bad right so like i just really kind of find it interesting this this thing about revisionist history that's going on especially in pop culture mm-hmm. so we have like judas and the black messiah that came out right with the key stanfield and daniel kaluuya you know what yeah, i'm saying i need to watch that I haven't watched it yet. I, 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 I just, I haven't. I listened to the soundtrack. I love the soundtrack, but I can't, I haven't watched <laughs> the movie. I just, it's, it's, my spirit can't take it. You know yeah. what I'm so like when I tell students about Pro, which is the counterintelligence program. Okay. Right. I mean, you know, it's the FBI who is basically bugging all of these black folks who they find to be a pain in their ass because they're asking questions and asking about what real change looks like from the Fred Hamptons to the MLKs to the Malcolm X's. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's like, what's interesting is that we're revisiting these very painful, very traumatic moments in black history. And then the way that the story is being presented, it makes room to include empathy where empathy shouldn't be okay you know and what i mean by that is it's like you know you see a lakeith stanfield you know what i'm saying who's playing this part of of the informant the 17 year old informant who basically has (sighs) fought his way into fred hampton's inner circle who's 21 right yeah and it's like you yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely. But it's also kind of just like, oh, well, I mean, he he didn't have, it was hard, you know? And I'm just like, why are we looking at this from the informant's perspective? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that makes a lot more sense. That makes a lot more sense. What does it make the, the informant, like, what about, you know, actual Fred Hampton, right? 
So it's, it's just, you know, or the flip side of that is when we think about somebody like a Dr. King, for example, and everybody has Dr. King on the pedestal. There's a literal pedestal of Dr. King in Washington, D.C. It's a huge MLK monument, right? Yeah. And folks are like, oh, MLK. So like when you get to the folks who, who like to argue back against when people are centering blackness and black experiences and black trauma, and they're like, well, Dr. King would say, they always reference the I have a dream speech. They never reference the Dr. King who's angry. Like oh, a yeah. letter from Birmingham jail, Dr. King. Oh yeah, he went you know, in the one that. asking for economic equality, Dr. King. <laughs> the <laughs> Dr. Know? King that was saying, it was like, no, nah, the white man is really evil. Like, for real. Yeah, the biggest mistake I may have made is integrating my people into a burning house. Yeah. That Dr. King. We don't ever hear that Dr. King. Folks are just like, you know, what would Dr. King say? What would Dr. King do? You know what I mean? So I feel like the sanitization of history and the sanitization of culture all contribute to this larger and kind of looming understanding about what Black folks can and cannot do when it comes to how to progress in this country. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because progress is, it's messy and it's painful and it sucks. You know what I'm saying? It's Absolutely. not all kumbaya and roses and, you know, being nice to white folks because white folks are nice to you. White folks will be nice to you, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they want black folks as a whole to move forward. Like, that's the thing that really kind of fascinates me is that, well, you know, I have a, I have white friends who get it. And I'm like, of course, they're going to be white folks who get it. But what are they doing to question other white folks? Yeah. I, no, I completely, you know I completely, like, what you doing? I, I completely agree with you on that notion that like, cause it's not hard for someone who has common sense or even someone that can think critically to understand like, yo, there's some messed up stuff in this country. Like True. any person who has common sense can be like, okay, obviously, you know what I'm saying? Black, mm-hmm. white, woman, male, like, you know, anyone, right? Mm-hmm. Get that. That's cool. Um, but to actually touch on your uh, experience with younger people, yeah, a lot of people don't realize that, so I'm a photographer. And I did a lot oh. of research on photography. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a side hustle. So I'm trying to make it to like a full business. I'm actually doing pretty well at it. But, you know, continuing past that, um, people don't even know that all those pictures of Dr. King, of MLK, uh, you know, um, Rosa Parks, you know, like just to name some of the major ones that we know, you know, even uh, Claudette Coleman, like all these people, like they were, those pictures were made to be black and white to make it look older because um, colored images were actually pretty common mm-hmm. at that time. Like yeah. it was like they're in magazines, like in white magazines or in white newspaper articles, like they're all over. But, and even they had like billboards and ads in New York and Georgia that are colored. So it's like, so why are these images black and white? They did that purposely to make it seem older. Cause you see a black and white image, you're like, dang, this must be old. I did, it has and there's that, but there's also there's also this belief that black and white images are more classic and sophisticated. Yeah, and yeah, so people don't even realize. I was like, the reason why you can make a lot of these images back to saturation color and having tone and stuff is because they were originally colored images. Colored. They just made them black and white. That's why it feels so long ago. And then people talk about, oh yeah, but that wasn't like no, bro. That was literally like 50 years ago. Like ask your grandma, ask your mom about it. Like they can remember it. Like this is not some. Almost, almost can ask your parents yeah you know what i'm saying some I mean, of y'all can definitely you know i mean i'm especially the crack epidemic you can yeah i mean i'm 37 so yeah. it's like my dad i mean my dad was was around right there in the aftermath of the civil rights movement my dad was born in 1957 growing up in albany you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. so he was like knocking on his 20s when you know it kind of culminated so to speak but i 
yeah but i mean like it's kind of like another example which you give is is the is the crack epidemic like you know you know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody i mean like even Definitely. if it's just like that seven <laughs> degrees of separation you yeah. know somebody who knows nobody you know somebody knows somebody, somebody. Knows somebody, knows somebody. <laughs> yeah so i think you know i think too what you're getting at too is the how we archive and how we construct the narrative around these particular historical milestones which is part of like what my my research interest is in the american black south right is like when we think about the Black American South, we often think about these historical touchstones and not necessarily the contemporary ones until much, much, much later. You know what I mean? Like we think mm-hmm. about the South, we automatically go to the antebellum era, we go to the Jim Crow era. One, because there, there's more visible evidence, so to speak, but also because, oh, it's Southern, so of course it's going to be slavery, which does a huge disservice to the communities who have evolved and gone on after these, yeah. histo- these historical moments, right? So okay. it's like, we're, we're playing pushback. And it wasn't until, you know, like one of my favorite things to teach, especially when I teach my outcast class is like, you know, students think that Atlanta has been Atlanta the way that we understand it the whole time. And I'm like, nah, it hasn't. Like this is post Olympics, right? Like this is post what Dr. Hobson calls the Olympification of, exactly. The Olympification of Atlanta. So once it was Atlanta is Olympified and made attractive to folks who are upwardly mobile, capitalistically, whatever, however you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, of course it's going to be this place that you want to, you know, that you want to come and stay. But before that, they were dealing with those same growing pains as, as much as the country was. How do we continue to move forward when we don't have a nucleic body of leadership that we saw during the 50s and 60s right we don't have that we don't have a leader um i don't know if we need one because i feel like i'm not saying that we don't need leadership but i am but i am saying i don't know if it could be one core group that can address all the growing issues and concerns because there's so many things to think about region is one of them what happens to black folks in the south is different than what's happening to folks in the midwest is different than what's happening to folks on the West Coast, we have unifying and universal threads. You know what I'm saying? Like there's yeah. unifying threads there, but it's Thanks. not it's not cookie cutter. Like it's not a cookie cutter experience. So if there's not a cookie cutter experience, why do we feel we need a cookie cutter leadership? I don't think per se we need a cookie cutter leadership because the one thing I will say about you know past leaders that we had in the past, we had leaders that had different goals and different mm-hmm. ways to get to those goals, which right. I think is why they were so successful. And it's kind of the reasons why I kind of understand why we had so many different big names, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Angela Davis, you know, like we had people doing different things in different areas during different times in different ways. And I'm like, okay, I see why they had to get rid of these people. Cause it's like, damn, you get hit with a haymaker. Then you get hit with an uppercut. Then you're like, whoa, like, I don't know which punch, which way is going anywhere. Cause you got so many um, different groups and different leaders and different, you know, movements going on which I do agree to your point, like, you know, people in New York or people in New Jersey or Chicago, whatever, they're not dealing with the same thing that we didn't down here in the South. Mm-mm. You feel me? Like they're getting theirs more like systemically through infrastructure, through education and things like that. Or in the South, the racism is way, way different. Like there are some cities that you can't even go to. Like, yeah, you go in that city, you, downtown is still a scary, scary. Yeah, you go to some cities mm-hmm. in, in Texas or Georgia, Alabama, you not you coming up missing like, missing posters and missing signs and things like that so i kind of agree that we not specifically one person Mm. but more like a body or even a group of um people in different areas because i don't know anything about the midwest like i don't know what black people in arizona going through like i (laughs) will keep it a stack with you you know what i'm saying like i know things about you know 
on this side of the country, like Georgia, Tennessee, New well, York. Because you live Chicago. here. Like, yeah. I, you know, I live here. That'd be weird if I'm living in Georgia and I don't know what the hell's going on in Georgia, but I know everything that's going on in like Detroit. I'm like, absolutely. What? Yeah. But unfortunately, that's what happens. Like, that's what happens. Is is usually supposed to be like, oh, I didn't know that y'all were dealing with X, Y, and Z. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I think, you know, and, and going back to, I like the ideas you were talking about, like multiple bodies of leadership. So you brought up Angela Davis, which is always a fat, you know, a fabulous example. I love Angela Yeah, I love her. Davis, right. Um, I also, but I mean, like, you know, if you put Angela Davis in conversation with like Elaine Brown, right, or mm-hmm. Asada Shakur, you know what I mean? Yeah. I put them in conversation with somebody like a Bayard Rustin right who was openly gay and and basically fighting for his life because he refused to not be who he was in public you know what i mean like he was like a confidant of dr king but dr king publicly made distance from him because he was openly gay right so like you think like one of the things that I, i i want us to to do is humanize the players of the movements that were happening at the same time you know exactly pointing out flaws that takes away from the overall contribution right and i'm like no it doesn't it makes them more humanistic and if anything else that makes me more willing to want to emulate what they're doing because it wasn't like they were coming from this point of perfection you know what i'm saying and that point of perfection has been warped into our minds over the years as we move further and further and further away from what happened right so like i was really excited when you brought up claudette colvin yeah because when we think about a doctor when we think about you know, the bus boycotts, we go to Rosa Parks, rightfully so. Like, I'm not taking anything away from Miss Parks, but she was like a badass. She was like a sexual assault investigator. She did yoga. She was doing all of these things. She was implanted. Yeah, she, it was intentional. Like, it was calculated that she was going to do what she did. But yeah. unfortunately, because Claudette Colvin ended up being an unwed, you know, an unwed I think she was like mother, 17, right? 15. 15, okay. Yeah, like unwed teenage mother, right? that didn't fit the ideal image that civil rights movements, workers and, and organizers had in place. So she got pushed to the side until more recently where we're giving her her flowers, so to speak. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So like, I, I, I want to make sure that when we have these conversations about past social movements, they're always going to have their flaws, right? And, and pointing, not necessarily pointing out their flaws, but recognizing their flaws doesn't take away from the impact, you know what I mean? And I think that's what's happening with this current movement is that it's still extremely young. Like the the Black Lives Matter movement as we know it now is extremely young. You also have multiple institutions that are claiming Black Lives Matter. You have Matter for Black Lives, right? Which is the, which is one, one aspect. You have like the grassroots Black Lives Matter folks in a different aspect, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And then you also have the folks who are just benefiting off of the idea of Black Lives Matter. So when you get to somebody like Alicia Garza, for example, who actually coined the the hashtag, kind of get this thing started after the George Zimmerman trial back in yeah, on Facebook. Yeah, it's like, it's something that she writes about, right? Is that she's like, one of the challenges of doing the cultural, social, political work that's happening now is the fear of erasure, right? Especially if you don't identify with a major group. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I feel like, where we are now in terms of generational differences is that you have older generations who are thinking about the blueprint that worked during that time period 
And granted, some of those things can also translate into this current moment. But for the most part, what's happening now is just a remix of everything happening. And you need new ideas and new language and new articulations of what that looks like in order to push the culture forward. But there's hesitation. You know what I'm saying? Facts. Yeah, there's like hesitation. And I also think like that, too, is part of the movement. When we think about like the leadership from the 50s and 60s, it wasn't a high percentage of folks who agreed with them contrary to popular belief you know what mm-hmm. i'm saying yeah um in the same way that a lot of leaders now who who, are, who identify with black lives matter aren't necessarily held in the highest regard so i'm really curious to see what happens when we revisit this conversation like 20 30 years from now you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah what's gonna get romanticized what's gonna get left out who's gonna be put at the top of the pile you know what i'm saying jesse jackson um <laughs> Ew, <which is> fascinating <laughs> to me <laughs> See, my thing about the whole Black Lives Matter movement is Mm -hmm. I'm very torn on it. I have like three views on it. And I think you might agree with one and you might disagree with two of them. One is I don't like the fact that Black Lives Matter is used to profit off of Black lives. Like, I hate that. And I think that's the part that you might agree with me with. Because we see companies like Nike or Adidas or Lyft or whatever, and they do the whole Black Lives. And it's like, oh, they just got revenue increased by like 20 million dollars and it's like mm-hmm. that's all black dollars like and i feel like we're so easy to see a company do black lives matter and xyz and it's like bro that doesn't nothing's changed all y'all like did was just the give money them, at it but the problem is still there exactly all y'all did was just give them their money mm-hmm. like i remember uh when nike dropped the black lives matter ad last year they like it went it went viral like everyone was reposting it and i was like okay this is cool this is great i'm glad they did this but they haven't done anything to really change anything. All mm. they did was invest $10 million in, a, in an ad and y'all mm. just liked it a lot and their stocks went up and then y'all bought their stuff. I was like, have they actually done anything to help the community? Did they put a Nike store in the hood? Did they give that dude who's looking for a job that job? Like, like did mm. they do anything? No. All these companies did Black Lives Matter and yet all my Black friends didn't get hired nowhere. So it was like, I'm not tripping and saying this. And y'all think that I'm just being a hater and Devin, you never happy. And I'm like, no, like, <laughs> bro, my man, Dr. Bradley, my friends think I'm the most negative person ever. Are you but an Afro-pessimist, Dev? I don't think I'm pessimist. It's more like. You know what that is? What Afro-pessimism no. is? No, what is that? You should, check, you, should, you should check it out. Like Afro-pessimism is a train of thought where they're like, it's not necessarily nihilism, but there's an idea that Black folks really, you know, aren't facing the, these realities that we exist in. So they take like a more, it seems like it's a pessimistic approach. You should check it out. You should check out some of the, some of the, the, the writing on Afro-pessimism and see. I should check it out? Okay, I'm going yeah. I'm I'm to check it you out. check it out and then, and then hit me up and see what you think. We like, yeah, I can kind of see this. Or no, I, okay. don't, I don't see it. But no, I, <laughs> I seriously gave you homework tell- <laughs> on your own show. <laughs> Man, I seriously be telling my friends, I'd be like, okay, this is great, but like, bro, y'all still don't have no job like y'all didn't get the money from the school like y'all like all these things didn't happen and y'all talking about oh this is great like like no ain't no progress been made ain't nothing been done and then my second view on black lives matter is i like the movement and i like that you know we can all agree black lives matters of course everything like that but i was talking to one of my friends who's lbgtq who was also black Mm -hmm. and i was telling her i was like yo i'm I don't care what you do. I don't really care. Like, 
we ain't even gotta talk about it, you know. And I hang out with everyone. I don't treat nobody the same. I mean, I don't treat no one different. I treat everyone the same, whether you're straight, gay, bi, trans. I don't really care. Just don't be no douche, you know. Like, don't be, don't, don't be an asshole. Like, you know, what I'm saying, like, if I'm talking to you nice, talk to me nice. Like, and if someone doesn't know something, you know, just educate them. Like, don't be, you know, an a hole about it. You feel me? And if you can do that, I can get down with whatever you want to do. If you want me to call you he or she or they or whatever, I can do it. Cool. That's great. If you want to be gay, I don't really care. Do you, you know, I'm going to be straight, whatever. And so I told her that, you know, I think black people as a whole need to step away from the LBGTQ movement because one, the LBGTQ movement is going to look out for them first over your blackness. Not saying that y'all shouldn't have equal rights. You should marry whoever you want to marry. You should be able to work wherever you want to work, do all that good stuff. Um, but those laws and those rules and those regulations are going to get passed with or without your black help. And uh, some black people, not all of them, but some black LBGTQ people fight more harder for their LBGTQ rights than they do their black rights. And I was telling her, I was like, I personally think that, you know, we as a community need to step back a little bit, work on the black issues and then get back to the LBGTQ issue. Cause I just pointed out to her, I was like, yo, the law just, the equal law just passed like last week under Biden. I was like, ain't nothing happened under Biden under black people. And I know he's been in the office for 30 days, but if they can pass a LBGTQ equal rights law, where's the, where's the law for black people? And she was like, okay, I kind of see your point. So I'm going to kind of push back against this for a couple okay. of reasons. The first oh, she's going to destroy me, y'all. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, I see what you're saying, but I, but my, 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 my concern is, you know what I mean? Um, it's difficult to peel apart what make put, puts you together. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And what I mean by that is that's kind of like, let me use myself as an example. So I identify as a cisgender black woman, right? Like mm-hmm. I identify and, and live my life as a, as a, cisgender meaning i was born a woman you're a woman yeah you know so i so i identify like that right um and it's difficult for me to decide between do i be black as fuck today or do i be womanly as fuck today you know Mm -hmm. what i'm saying um they're 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 intertwined you know what i'm saying so my my pushback against that perspective would be i think it does a, a does a disservice overall for folks who have their feet in multiple existences, right? Think about this idea of intersectionality, you know, so shout out to Kimberly Crenshaw, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Intersectionality in the sense that, you know, I can't just think about this one thing when it's all of these things impacting my life on a daily basis, you know what I'm saying? The thing I think you're getting at though that's important is that when we whitewash some of these, these progressive movements, right? So when we think about the gay rights movement, I mean, of course, you know, you would think it'd be not necessarily more inclusive, but I mean, like it's still caters to a particular demographic, right? And marginalizes others in ways that it's like, how do you move through being doubly marginalized, triply marginalized, yeah. right? Um, so until we can find a way to discuss more than one thing, like walk and chew gum at the same time, right? Like this is something that I think about is how do you walk and chew gum? I can still say that gay lives and gay rights matter Absolutely. in the same breath that I can say, and this is not what I say you weren't saying, but I'm saying I can say mm, that, okay, okay. You know, that 
gay rights are equally as important as African-American rights. But if I'm somebody who, who identifies as a queer Black person, I need to find a way for those things to work together and to, to, in order for me to progress moving forward, right? It goes back mm-hmm. to what I was saying earlier about, you know, the Black experience isn't monolithic in the same way that it's not monolithic. It's also just not one, one size fits all. You know what I'm saying? And I think the challenge is the way that we're approaching a lot of these Black issues is one size fits all. And that's doing more disservice than actually identifying the different intersectionalities that are that are are current. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So but I can't I mean, like, but I can I can definitely see where the criticism is, is that, you know, it's like, okay, you're you're doing more for gay rights, but we're kind of thinking about quote unquote where you where you originated with you know yeah um but i think the 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 additional challenge to that is if you put all of your eggs in this one basket and that basket drops where does that leave you where does that leave you You see and my thing is like i understand the push for multiple movements in america or even worldwide like to be very honest i understand the push for you know LGBTQ rights uh, for women rights and, you know, and all this stuff. Like, I really do get it. Like I, mm-hmm. I've, I've never ever disavowed being like, no, that's dumb. That's mm-hmm. no, no, that's dumb. That's no, like I've never done that before, but my point is always speaking like, and I say certain things and people kind of get upset at it, but it's like, okay, Barack Obama. And mm-hmm. I will put some, you know, blame back on us about it. Cause all we said was, Oh, we have a black president. Like we so lit, like, yay. Like we have a black president. Like, we shouldn't have done that. What we should have did was we should have held him to a standard. Like we should have been like, all right, bro, you in office and that's great. And that's dope. And we going to vote for you again, but give us something. And I'm not saying give us everything, but you got to give us something to nibble on. Like you got to well, give at us- least or at minimum, give us what you promised on the campaign trail. <clears throat> President Literally. Biden. I don't think us. he's going to do it. I, I don't personally, think he is either. I don't think he's going to do but it. I- I'm like, I'm sorry, you can go. No, I'm done. I'm but just real quick. It's like, you know what I'm saying? Is holding feet to the fire because I feel like it does a disservice, not only those of us that voted, but also the organizers who worked so hard to get you in office. Yeah. You know and what I'm saying? I was going like, I'm, I'm not Republican nor Democratic. I'm a vote for whoever I think is the best for the black people. So you're you know, independent. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> people hate when I say that. But I tell it all the time, like, I'm going to vote for whoever I think is, like, be that Republican or be that Democrat or be whoever it may be. Maybe you don't agree with their policies, but, like, there are some Republicans who actually have some good policies. They're like, I'm for school vouchers. They be like, yo, if you're poor and you can't afford the school, here's $10,000 of government money so you can go to this private school, this charter school, and see if your kid can get an education. I'm for that. I don't know why more Black people aren't for that. Because well, if you're... Be- well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. And I'll, I'll... Cause if you're zoned in a school, that's a bad school. And I know that that's not your problem. And I know that we should work towards to fix that. But if you're zoned in a school, that's not good. And you know, you have a good kid. Like your kid is like, you know, your kid is smart. He's a hard worker, but he's not given the tools. Like how are you going to have a car mechanic who ain't got no wrench? Who ain't got no <laughs> lift? Who ain't, you know what I'm saying? Like he could be the best mechanic in the world. He could fix every issue in your car, but if he ain't got no lift, no wrench, no tools, no, you know, no screws or nothing like that, how is he going to fix your car? And that's the same logic that I'd be having. Like, how are you going to have this good kid who's smart or even the kids who are just average, who just want to have a good education, you know what I'm saying? Do something for their family. 
I'm for school vouchers. Yeah, send that kid to that private school or that charter school or that whatever school. Like, send that kid there. Make them go do that. Like, here's some funding. Here's some money. Get this scholarship. Like, I'm very for that. I wish more Black people were for it, but it's a very Republican view. So a lot of Black people be like, no, I'm not for that. I'm not going to do that. Nope. Yeah, I... I mean, I have my own issues with charter schools and they're not necessarily funding. It's also what state owned. What are that and what kids are taught in these charter schools, which is a whole nother conversation for a different day. But <laughs> I, I mean, I just, yeah, I think, I think was, you know, you kind of pointed it out and I just wanted to reemphasize is, you know, black folks haven't always voted Democrat folks. Like I really wish that folks would understand that. I mean, before that they were with, you know, the, the party of Lincoln, which yeah. was Republican. Right. But also the switch happened in the 50s 30s with the 30s okay i was on yeah yeah so like when fdr oh, the, out, yeah the new deal the, the new FDR. deal i mean like it seems like it's more accessible to everybody not just for a particular white demographic you know what i mean and because of that black folks are like all right let's give the democrats a chance and we ain't really looked back since then but i but i do agree with you in the sense that it doesn't necessarily matter party right as long as I can also hold you accountable. I think the, the you know, part of the challenge of, of recognizing black Republicanism is, is Trump. Let's just keep one on it. And also some of the black folks who identify as Republican or who, who are pro-Trump has, have just- They show they butt. Yeah. And we're just like, really, this is this what you think, but you know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's, and then you get to this whole different conversation about like, you know, con- being conservative and liberal and all that other stuff. But all that to say, I just think that if we actually had more ways to hold accountable these folks that are, are in office, because with Trump, we, we battled to find him accountable and we still can't do that because he's protected by the Republican party. Like what Trump has done to the Republican party is going to be felt for generations on out. Thanks on out right and it's not necessarily because he was a little cheeto in the office it's because (laughs) (laughs) people because of his his party members refusal to hold him accountable which really just it blows my mind that it really just blows my mind how like folks refuse to hold him accountable for the bullshit that he did yeah for me i don't get it i don't for me it. it was the most annoying like Policies aside, I get it. Not every policy is going to be good. Some policies might be messed up. I understand it. But God dang, bro. There's things he would say on TV and just tweet. And I would be like, bro, please shut up. So, oh my God, please shut up. Like, uh, I want to. Mm. And another thing that I tell my friends too, I'd be like, bro, not saying Biden's bad or anything, but y'all got to hold him accountable too. Y'all can't have Biden in office, but I think I think you agree with me on this too. Like Biden's already gone back on his word on uh, student debt release. Like you on told national- us, you told us two things, bro. You told us you were gonna going to forgive fifty stacks. That's what you said. You didn't say five. You didn't say ten. My guy, you said fifty. F five F T Y fifty. And then the flip side of that, you also said that you were going to give $2,000 stimulus checks. You didn't say that you were going to give to make up to $2,000. You said $2,000 stimulus checks, which is one of the reasons that both Warnock and Ossoff got elected in Georgia, because that became part of their campaign. Campaign, You know what I mean? Oh, so again, me. I know. Yeah. So again, it goes back to this conversation about accountability and i and the one thing that i do want to that i i think about and, and hope that folks keep in their mind is this warning is that 
you know, of course we're, we're looking for relief from a Trump presidency because it fucking sucked. But the flip side of that is we're, we're, hopefully we don't just discount or don't hold Biden accountable for those things that one, he said he was going to do, but also because you have certain people in certain places doesn't mean that's progress. You know what I'm saying? Like one of the things I find really interesting is this conversation about diversity and what that looks like and what that means and ideas of multiculturalism. But again, for the most part, it's mostly just for people to have lip work so that folks can continue doing what they do. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It's kind of like, I don't know if you paid attention to this this summer, but this summer, the New York Times bestseller list became filled with nothing but anti-racism books. Yeah, I peep. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, all right. Like anti-racism books and you know what I'm saying? Stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But we're still out here. (laughs) <laughs> to me, it was a, it was a, a, like, I'm a very big proponent in, no, bro, this is just politics. Like, I'm not believing that this is what they really believe because mm-hmm. it's never happened before. And then suddenly, because of everything that's happened, we had 180 days of protest. Oh, oh, right. Anti-racism books are the best book. Like, no, bro, like, you don't really believe that. You're just trying to get more money off of us or trying to plot off of us or get support well, you know, off of us. actually read the book. I could read the book. You're absolutely right. No, 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 no. I'm, no, I'm not saying you. I'm just saying like folks would be like, oh, you know what I mean? But like my thing is, is if you, you know, and this goes into conversations about like allyship, which I, I really find that word so troubling on, on many levels, because even if you're an ally or not, some of these things that you're saying that you're an ally for, you're still showing an, an aspect of anti-Blackness or an aspect of whatever in order to seem like you're diverse. You know what I'm saying? And I'm yeah. like, Black folks are part of diversity <laughs> but yet when we situate ourselves in these conversations then it's like oh well you're just trying to basically you're trying to bring up old shit you know what i'm saying and i'm yeah. like it's not old shit if it's something i'm still dealing with De- yeah you like to I this mean? day like it's still still new it's, it's still, still new still. yeah mm-hmm. yeah and i <laughs> and i'd be telling my friends i'd be like like i really wish that there was like a, a black coalition um and of course, it wouldn't be every black person, but I really wish there was a black coalition that we could be like, all right, this is who we're going to vote for. We're going to vote for these people in these states. And, like a super pack. Oh, my gosh. I wish we could have that <laughs> so bad, because like to me, it makes no sense that no matter what we do, we're going to vote Democratic. Mm. Like, I'm not saying that that's wrong. But I just don't agree with it. Like to me, don't make no. it doesn't make any sense. Like every single, every four years, every two years, or even in your local elections, even for your, you know, mayor or even for your um, governor or whatever, you're going to vote Democratic. Like mm-hmm. no matter who the person is, no matter what they do, no matter if they used to be racist in the past and suddenly they're progressive now, Biden or whatever, you know, like it, it, it doesn't matter. Like people don't even know that Biden literally before Obama had every opposite view. He wasn't pro-choice. Mm. He wasn't for any type of debt relief. He wasn't for LBGTQ rights. He wasn't for none of this stuff. No, he advocated for the the quote unquote super predator bill in 1993, which led to strikes rule. Um, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, all of that. But I also just think, again, it's this idea of accountability and what that looks like for a Biden, right? And I just think that folks are still still working through fatigue from the past administration. Like I have, I, I feel in my spirit that that's so much about why we're, we're kind of right. dragging our feet. You know what I mean? Because just this week, this past week alone, I think he reopened one of the immigration detention yeah. centers. 
That was and closed. Also, yeah, reopened it, but also bombed Syria. And I'm and like, he, and he put troops in Somalia. Yeah. So I'm like, so, you know, it's, it's one thing that you have a president that you feel like you have access to, you know what I'm saying? In a, in a positive familiar kind of way. Right. So like when first lady Biden did like the Valentine thing and you see that president Biden is actually like a, you know what I mean? But I don't think that needs to warp out the very real political stances that he's making. And I'm not saying that he hasn't done a completely bad job. Like I really appreciate that we're back into the climate accords and all, you know what I'm saying? Like we're back in, yeah. we're back into these, but at the same time, just because you're doing this doesn't mean that I'm going to discount and not hold you accountable for the harm that you're doing in the name of the United States as well. Facts. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I'm also waiting on, you know, we had this whole conversation about black lives matter when he was on the campaign trail and he was saying, you know, I haven't, I haven't heard it since and see i told my friends personally and i even said it on twitter i said yo i'm not even gonna lie to you i will excuse not excuse but i will vote for biden again if he does two things like for me personally Mm -hmm. if he defunds or stops private prisons Mm. and if he also uh decriminalizes uh marijuana and get the people that were in jail off of that off you know what i'm saying what because was it Ohio? Was it Ohio, Illinois that um said that they were going to erase the records of folks? Who I were think it was Ohio. Record. Yeah, stuff like that. That's I mean, that's important. We're now we're getting to the point where the cannabis industry is multi, multi-billion, like multiple oh, yeah. billions over, but you still have folks who are serving life sentences and for moving like two pounds of weed. If that, yeah. If I'm definitely like I am for if he does that. Not saying that the other I will definitely vote for him again in 2024 for a fact, because that's one of the main things that really affect us. Like there are kids now who don't have no daddy or no mommy because mommy was moving weight or daddy was moving weight. And he was just trying to he was really doing it. He's like, I have a kid, bro. I can't Mm -hmm. get no job. I can't get no job because I got no education. So he's like, I'm trying to make it how I live it. And they're like putting in cases where you see like the defendant. He's like, y'all, I was just trying to make money. He's like, I know I shouldn't have did it, but I'm just trying to live. And so I will literally campaign and vote for Biden if he does those two things. If he doesn't do it, he's definitely not getting my vote in 2024. I will campaign against him. I don't care if he's Democrat. I will literally go the other way. I don't give a, it's going to happen. But if he does it, I'm all for the Democrats and I'll vote for them again. Hmm. I'm just for a fact. What, what am I going to say against that? No? Like, like <laughs> 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 no? I mean, like, all of those are, are well and good. I just, you know, it's we're just in such a, we're between a rock, a hard place, and, like, and a, a hard place. Yeah. yeah. It's like, we're and it's dark, and it's wet, and it's moist. And, and you know, to borrow from DMX, hell is hot. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's hot. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, like, there's just, I mean, yeah. And... I mean, like I get, I get why COVID is at the top of the list. Like I, I've, you know, unfortunately, I, 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 I get that. But I, what I don't get is how the the populations and the communities where it's most being impacted still don't have access to vaccines. They don't have access to vaccines. The hospitals suck. It's that's that's my thing. High. So I'm like, come on. I mean, like you know, like I know that you inherited a shit show. You know what I'm saying? And that's being nice. Yeah. But it's also like you can't distinguish sir like you can't you you, i'm gonna need for you to really just understand 
why we like there are black folks giving you side eye right now please understand why we giving you side eye and it's even worse because kamala (laughs) harris is she she's his vp and i swear it feels like oh she wants to do is take twitter pictures or like ig pictures i don't do don't do the vp like that oh my god come on man you ain't see her ig her IG looks like her IG like she the vice president. Her IG looks like she like living life. Like she balling. Why are you right not now. supposed to live life if you ain't the VP? Man, she's out here having whole photo shoots. I mean, she out here living the best life. If you go to her, here, I'm gonna go to her IG right now. I'm gonna look at it. She is living, she is literally living life. What Kamala Harris. I feel like she's doing the work too. Like I, I'm not, I'm not gonna say. I feel like it's too early to for me to just discount. Yeah, I'm not discrediting everything because I know it's only been a month. But to me, it's like I see all these other things happening, and I'm like, dang, like what are you, like what are you really doing? Because it was Black Lives Matters literally all summer and all fall, and then you get elected, and then suddenly we need COVID relief, and it's like she was talking about COVID relief though too in her on her campaign, not to the extent she was talking about. Black Lives Matter. Yeah, but yeah. she still, I mean, I get it. You know, like part of part of her role is to support the president. Like that's part of it. You know what I mean? But I think the other part of it too is I'm really like I'm really ready to see what happens on the in the house in Congress. What are you what are your thoughts on her with and what she did in Cali when she was uh the district attorney and when she had like the marijuana laws and the truancy laws? What do you think about that? I didn't agree with them. You know what I'm saying? Again, I'm not going to sit here and say that she was perfect. And this is me being an Alpha Kappa Alpha woman also. So I, this yeah. isn't me. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's important to say. It's like, as a mm-hmm. member of the sorority, like we're sorors, you know what I mean? Um, and I didn't agree with what a lot of a lot of the what she was doing there. But again, it goes back to ideas about accountability. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. I agree with you in the sense that we need, we've been needed to crim- decriminalize. Marijuana. Marijuana. Been, been needed. Private been needed. prisons. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Um, but then like it got kind of goes back to the beginning of our conversation, which is like, you know, how do you separate agency from the dollar? And when you're making so much money off of it, you know what I mean? I'm not and it's not it's not and I'm not I mean it's tough. To, yeah. You know, yeah, it's 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 challenging, right? It's so I'm definitely... like, but I'm but what it. I'm really looking forward to is seeing how Vice President Harris what she does because now she could be the 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 vote. You know what I mean? Because it's literally down to her. Out. Yeah, it's down to her. So I'm like, I want to see what you what you do with that. You know what I mean? Um, and how we're gonna do that moving forward? Because it seems like it's taking such a long time for these things to go through that you were building your campaign upon. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready. See, and that's the thing too that I don't want us to get into another Obama. Barack Obama situation where mm. people are so excited that we have, you know, a black, a half black, half Indian woman who's who went to HBCU and who was part of who's part of the AKA sorority. And they were like, oh my God, like she represents me. Like I'm so happy. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's great. Not saying that none of that, like I, I feel you. Because representation does matter, but you know, in addition to representation, I need her to do her part. I need her go. to do what she needs to do in order for me to be like, you know, that right there is why I like black people in the office. Mm-hmm. Because if we have another Obama situation where they don't do anything, like Obama had opportunity to put a black Supreme Court justice up there and he didn't do it. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, bro, the Congress that blocked him. <laughs> bro, it's like, I mean, yes, Congress did block him, but it's like, bro, like we really could have did something dope. Like, 
you know what I mean? But it's like, dang, it didn't happen. You know, you played the politics and, you, you know, you didn't fight. To me personally, I felt like he didn't fight hard enough, but it is what it is. We can differ about that. But yeah, like, I don't need us to be another Barack Obama situation with Kamala Harris. Like, I need I need us to be like, yo, Kamala, like, when it comes down to that vote, you need to do what you need to do in order to progress your people. Because like I get Jackson you're the- Make that change. Because yes. <laughs> <laughs> I get you're the VP of America. Mm-hmm. But- some people are hurting worse than others. So you need to, you know, you need to do what you need to do. You feel me? Yeah, I'm with it. Mm-hmm. But um, I think we had a very good conversation, doctor. Yeah, see, I didn't stray nobody. It's Sunday. It's nice outside. You know Man, I was telling King Dom before this, I was like, bro, she's going to destroy <laughs> I was like, I was like, I can argue and debate other people on my level. But I was like, bro, she has a PhD. She knows oh, don't even do that, man. There's a whole lot of people smarter than me who ain't got no PhD. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <It's> just- <laughs> yeah. I like that you like Killer Mike, though, but um, I love Killer Mike. Um, I watch his... Uh, you you said you watched Trigger Warner, right? Yeah, I did. I mean, there were some episodes I was like, sir, really? But for the most part, I was like, hmm. You made some solid <laughs> points, yeah. I like him a lot. Um, I'm glad we had this conversation. I was so... Like me and Don were planning like the season and who we want to be on and the topics that we wanted. Like we we're going a little bit harder. And I was like, yo, we need to get like bigger names out there. Cause you know, we're doing pretty good for the podcast. I was mm-hmm. like, you know, I want to grow. And he was like, who are you thinking? I was like, bruh, I was like, I need Dr. Beasley. <laughs> I mean, I need Dr. Bradley on here. I was like, bruh, she's gonna, I was like, she's well known. She got the education she's very professional. And I was like, I think she would destroy me in a debate. And he was like, something's wrong with you, bruh. I was like, bruh, no, no, no. You gotta understand where I'm coming from. But, <laughs> oh, but yeah, man, I was, come to my defense, man. Come on. Man, I was so stoked when he told me that you replied. I was like, for real? He was like, yes. I was like, really? I was like, great start to the first season. Oh my gosh. But yes, I really wanted to take my time to um thank you for coming on. Like it's my pleasure. I, I love having, you know, smart people on and people that can debate and get their point across. And if there's anything you could, you know, you want to say, some closure remarks, you have to for for yourself. I mean, you know, I just appreciate the conversation. I'm always down for a good conversation. I'm not expecting us to always agree on everything and i feel like we didn't agree on some things but it was still we were still decent still had home training oh you we know still have fun we was laughing we had a lot of fun yeah um but yeah the only thing is you know if you haven't already um you can check out my my first book chronicling stankonia the rise of the hip-hop south which is about outcasts and how southern rap helps us think about uh southern black communities in the in the long shadow of the civil rights movement it's available wherever you get your books or wherever you know what i'm saying okay. so i'll buy one yeah thank you thank you darling you're welcome um, so much just uh just yeah just that and um you know y'all can holler me on on twitter i'm pretty active on twitter <laughs> yeah you are i like your i like your stances i i do agree with a lot of the things that you say on twitter like i don't like shutting out black women and because i'm like if you're black you're black you're part of the culture you can say whatever you want but mm-hmm. yeah um i do like that you're from that thank you so much for coming on I love you. I hope I have you back on um, maybe later on in a new season or a later episode. Let's do it. But yeah, um, so you have a good day. Have a good day. Stay COVID safe and talk to you later, okay? All right, you have a good one. I'll see you.